Greetings fellow honours in the fourth dimension and welcome to The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. My name is Emma Foster and joining me as always is my co-host, Mr Mike Mould. How are you, sir? I'm very sorry for your loss. I'll do all I can to solve the death of your friend slash family member slash pet. <laughs> sorry I dropped two off in Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to be discussing Under the Lake and Before the Flood. Um, mm-hmm. So, Mike, your overall impressions of this two-parter? Um, this is kind of more like the two-parters we're, we're used to. Yes. Excellent first opening, and the second half The second half wasn't terrible, mm. but it, it just wasn't as good somehow. And I don't know whether that's because... Although, I, right, I have to say this, I love the pre-title sequence for Before the Flood. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Yes. But by doing that, I mean, yes, explain it to the viewers so it's not like you're not having a massive info dump at the end of the story. But then it's sort of like it becomes a lot easier to like call twists. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, like the suspended animation chamber they brought into the, the drum. It's like mm. even in part one, I sort of like knew who was going to be the occupant. Yeah. And when it did turn out to be who I thought it was... Okay, obviously, spoilers, because you, you probably chances are you've already watched this episode. It's the Doctor who's in there. <laughs> but um, it's one of those ones where you, it's almost like slightly disappointing because you yeah. kind of want it to be a bit of a, like a twist. Mm. That, that's fair enough. Um, mm. I mean, like you, I, I mean, again, I'd sort of come to the conclusion it was likely the Doctor in there. Mm-hmm. But I think with, with, with these things that you kind of, you work it out, Yeah, I'm... I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, it's sort of slightly like you want a surprise, mm-hmm. but also I kind of feel like that's the writing's done its job if I yeah. can reasonably work out where the story's going, mm-hmm. if you see what I mean. Obviously, there's a fine line to walk between predictability in, in the show mm-hmm. and executing the writing so it's coherent. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that um, in, in terms of that, I thought that, the Fisher King's motivation ended up being a little bit weak sauce for me. Mm. I mean, obviously this whole thing about it being there after the water. I mean, um, if anything was going to advertise our planet as an invasion thing, it would probably be our H2O because, you know, there ain't a lot of that as far as we know. Mm. So why wouldn't someone want to come and nick it all? But, you know, when you sort of, you set up this sort of big foreboding thing with all the, you know, the Forsaken and the Temple and all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you sort of think, oh, it's going to be something massive. And they just go, we're your water, dun, dun, dun. You just go, oh, is that it? <laughs> like those slightly shit villains in that one Bond movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. I mean, that's the thing. It's sort of the same thing, actually. That you sit through a whole bomb movie and you think, you know, they're going to like drop a nuke to the planet's core or something, yeah. you know, and they're inside the hollowed out volcano and it turns out to be that. You just go, oh, oh okay, then. Right. You think you feel like Bond would hand that off to someone else. Yeah. Let <laughs> like 003 take it over. It's odd, this. Mm. But um, I must say, something that popped into my mind like you're saying that 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 sort of five minutes at the beginning of before the flood mm-hmm. uh, again i think for me might be is probably my favorite bit of the whole episode i mean i remember after the episode finished i went straight back and watched it again mm-hmm. and also i had to watch the end again because the cat not being satisfied just interrupting this here podcast <laughs> also interrupted the end of the episode because <laughs> so she- i was i was home alone and <laughs> the cat was like oh I cuddle now you must cuddle me <laughs> her, her, her rub face on mine so i was watching out of one eye turned to one side and uh yeah i had to rewind it and watch the last two minutes again 
So shout out to you, Jasmine. Cheers, dear. Is she more of a Star Trek fan? <laughs> She's more a pain, be a pain in the arse to everyone in the close facility fan, I think. Well, she has a um, cat. Yes, and yeah. that is how cats do. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, I think it. I mean, because remember in our in our uh, series nine preview episode, we mm. talked about kind of our reservations about the uh, Doctor Solo episode. Yeah, and. Obviously, five minutes versus 45 is two different things, mm-hmm. but it gives me some faith in it about how it's going to work. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, because mm-hmm. I feel like... I mean, something that really struck me about these two parters is that Capaldi is just so magnetic. You're so drawn to the, to the guy every time he's speaking. Mm-hmm. It's just obviously, you know, the, the Doctor should have that, but I feel like he's kind of got gravitas plus almost. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, your eyes are just on him always. And yeah, I mean, because when he speaks, you're like, this is when I listen, you know. Mm. I don't know, I don't really know if I'm expressing it as well as I could do, but yeah, it just, it really sort of struck me in this two part. Oh, no, no, honestly, no, that's absolutely right. He's definitely sort of like up, with, up there with like Tom Baker um, on the list of doctors who you'd most pay attention to. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I think, it, like, like I said, I think it is just like his voice mm. and. He he puts a lot of weight behind, you know, what he says. I mean, that's not to uh, do a disservice to any other doctors. Yeah, but precisely. It's just it's just sort of like 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 I say, you, you sit up and pay attention. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and like I say, that little that little bit at the beginning of before the flood, I think just emphasised that again. Really, mm-hmm. I was waiting for the twist of he was Beethoven when he picked up the <laughs> when he picked up the bust, and there mm-hmm. is kind of a. I was like, eh, kind Slight, of, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's bit in the nose, maybe. Bit, bit him, maybe he's a bit of Eighth Doctor hair. Yeah, bit of, yeah, exactly. I mean, because... Um, so what do you think of using this this bootstrap paradox idea, then, just as a concept? I, no, that's absolutely fine. I, I like it when they do sort of, like, play with time. Because, mm. um, I mean, because Blink is, comes, mm. is is a result of the, blue, the bootstrap paradox. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um so yeah, I do like it how they, how they do so like play with the usual conventions of time travel because mm. you know it's a show about time travel, and mm. it's and it's strange when you think, you know, certainly in the classic series there wasn't that much of it. Yeah, I mean, you know I, mean? I think I think we spoke, we talked about this before mm. in that Moffat is, I mean, he he didn't write this this no. episode, but um, he under his under his uh, leadership, if you will, yeah. the series has played with time travel much more than it ever has before yeah. and you know really for considering this is a time travel show you know it's mostly been used as a medium just to get us to a place where the story happens rather than being this mm-hmm. is what the story is a result of yeah so one thing that um came to mind when we when we started under the lake mm-hmm. was uh aliens yeah yeah straight aliens yeah especially when you have um the character of uh was it pritchard who's the one who gets yeah. Is Pritchard, isn't it? Yeah, he gets airlocked. Yes, I mean because he is Carter Burke. Yeah, essentially straight, straight oh, yeah, forward. Straight, straight up, I was yeah. waiting for someone to go. Someone to go. These people are dead, Burke. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because especially that scene where the, the doctor just sort of says, "Why is this person still talking to me?" <laughs> and yeah. he kind of slinks off all huffy. I was, I was like, "You little bastard! You're mm-hmm. off to do something shitty, aren't you?" You but, know. Do you know what? That's that's kind of that's one thing I did like about. Um, under the lake is Mm. when they mention the power cell you sort of like think when they're talking about it you think Pritchard's sort of gone and hit it yeah Yeah. you think he's in it and that's why the ghosts are Mm. doing what they're doing 
But then it turns out, no, he just put, he did pop outside to have a look for it because obviously that's a, it's a valuable resource. But as you heard, as you've learned from before the flood, it's not there because of a reason. It's because it's used at the end, so it was it was never there to begin with. And um, it's strange. I kind of like how sort of like honest Pritchard is. Yeah. About being a bit of a, a corporate arsehole. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's like he's not ashamed about it. So he's not ashamed, not necessarily ashamed about it. He's just very straightforward. Mm, you know, indeed, you don't waste yeah. you don't waste time. And I mean, as unfortunate as a trope as it is, you know, they straight up like offed the the, the captain. You know, they they didn't like they, there wasn't like a sort of any times like we sort of thinking, oh, you know, is he going to be how, how long is he going to stick around for? It's like no nope, straight engine Dead. exhaust to the face. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, wow, okay. Well, I mean, really, it's it's the it's again, it's sort of those tropes one hundred and one in that you take mm. the leader away, so yeah. you haven't you have to rely on the person who is not prepared to do, you know, not mentally maybe prepared to to be in the leadership role, mm. and then that's why I was waiting for the corporate douchebag. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, this is the antagonist of the episode. Then yeah. the doctor's going to have to deal with this bloke, and again, he's like rubbed out very quickly. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of where before the flood kind of falls a little flat is because it doesn't have those sort of like, oh, okay, so those little swerves mm. in the narrative. But I mean, in, in before the flood, I did kind of like like it how um, uh, Bennett. It's like calls out the doctor yeah. and and even it's like admit it even the doctor admitted at the end like when we find out what was the deal with the doctor ghost and he's he purposefully put clara's name next on the list so he'd actually do something about it because i think that's one thing the one thing that's certainly been recurring throughout the new series is when the doctor's faced with these situations where he thinks he's going to die he obviously he's got to protect the web of time and things like that mm. So it's kind of, I'm trying to think of like a best way to explain it. It's like he sort of, like he always finds a way out of it. But up mm. until that point, he always sort of just sort of presumes, he sort of presumes that's it for him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He, he hasn't sort of like analysed all the options and variations and what could happen, what couldn't happen if he did this instead of that. He's, he's, he gets very, sort of like very narrow minded on the fact that he is probably going to die because of this thing. Mm. He's never thought he's going to die as much as he ever has you know, up to this point. I mean, mm. um, sort of, especially sort of level Doctor Twelve Doctor. I, you know, it sort of comes up a lot now. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, it, sort of, they're trying to reflect this whole thing of the Doctor is now extremely aged, mm-hmm. and even though he's been granted a new life cycle of indeterminate length, <laughs> um, you know, it's it it also it always sort of feels like the Doctor is. Is kind of in uncharted territory mm-hmm. in that you know it's sort of implied that he always knew he'd, he'd maybe end up he'd end up at Trenzalore and you know that would be his final resting place and all this sort of thing so he maybe always sort of knew the destination mm-hmm. so there was always this thing of like oh well I might die but I'll regenerate and blah 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 mm-hmm. so but you sort of feel that beyond Trenzalore because there's it doesn't feel like there is a an ultimate destination now is in, in yeah. he's truly in an uncharted territory. So this, every situation he gets in now could be the one, mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. Mm. But yeah, it does seem to come up a lot now. Mm. I mean, again, I think it's more that obviously they're trying to inject sort of jeopardy into the show because mm. there's only so 
much you can obviously the the thing is the easiest thing is to threaten the companion yeah but if with the doctor you you just sort of think well okay you know he's he's probably going to make it but mm-hmm. <laughs> um there's always the, the thing of like you know how is what's going to happen to lead him to this circumstance and as well i think like it's quite interesting that with the whole web of time stuff mm-hmm. um you do wonder that if you know the the integrity of the web of time i think is quite malleable i mm-hmm. mean because obviously if I, I don't know if a paradox like the bootstrap paradox would be actually be able to occur if the web of time was up to any snuff if you see what mm-hmm. i mean yeah no but also um something i forgot to mention when i was first going off about this uh this tangent was uh i think the doctor's sort of like acceptance of that he is probably going to die is probably more because he sort of remembers the last time he tried to mess with mm. set history, i.e. the waters mm. of Mars, and how well that went for him. Yeah. So I think it's sort of like more a case of he's sort of like he's sort of going with it unless a, a solution or a get out presents itself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, so I think the, so the the thing that really came to mind. I mean, obviously, I've mentioned aliens, but mm. before the flood, really reminded me of Primer. Yeah, because I mean, because obviously mean. the whole the whole the whole time looping primer is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an example of the bootstrap paradox, but it was more I think that that whole thing of like him him and Bennett hiding from previous versions of himself, and mm-hmm. I think just that kind of stark white coffin is very sort of like what they end up using in primer. Mm-hmm. So in just sort of visually, that's that's what came to my mind. But yeah, that whole thing where they're sort of watching their past events and they can't interact with them, mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean, I did wonder if if Bennett would, you know, would sort of go rogue, and that would sort of be the the spark that sort of moved the next mm-hmm. chunk of the story on. Um, but yeah, I thought that um, that was something that just really came up to me when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, going back to uh, Under the Lake. So what did you make of um, just sort of again talking about sort of Doctor Ethics, the whole thing? of him saying to the crew look i want you to go but mm-hmm. if you go this is what will happen yeah it's, it was, it's that was quite interesting bit that because he's obviously playing to like their curiosities and the sort of the you know he says it's like the, the more military crew you know you've got a duty to protect and serve mm-hmm. and he says to bennett the scientist you know you know there's a there's a curiosity here for you but i think it's like a genuine but also at the same time, slightly manipulative. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind. Of, it's one of those sort of like ones where you sort of go, when he's like saying, "Oh no, I want you to go." It's like, is he is he being genuine? Is he is he just like, or is he to... manipulating them into helping him mm. essentially? Because he knows that in some. Because obviously, if we're talking about him purely wanting them there as um, you know as backup or something, mm-hmm. he can't do without Cass, for instance, because. Yeah her ability to lip read is what we need to speak, to communicate with the ghost. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then you need uh, Lun to translate Make for her. Word. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, and, you know, I think he really takes a shine to um, to O'Donnell mm-hmm. as well. And uh, obviously want, I mean, he's the sort, she's the sort of person who could be, very well be a companion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so, and then Bennett's a scientist. So these are the sort of people he wants around him mm-hmm. to use as a team, so to speak. So I think 
how much you it really depends on what you think this doctor's like as to how much he's manipulating the situation to have useful people around him to solve this mystery Mm. it's up to you i think and what you sort of think of this character yeah i mean like like put it at this the same time there's there is like i say a part of you that's sort of kind of like he kind of does want to get them out of the way because he he knows you know this might not end well for him for them Mm. but at the same time they need them so he'd rather they stick around by choice than him having to like i don't know isolate the base and say no you're staying here we're doing this yeah, uh, so I mean that, that sort of leads on again to a bit of Clara taking on some of the Doctor's pragmatism, if mm. you will, especially when she sends out a uh, Lun out of the Faraday cage in yeah. the, before the flood. I wonder what you made of that. It's it's one of those ones where it's it's kind of like yeah, I mean, this is complete Doctor behaviour, but at the same time. He kind of he kind of is the one who has to go because he's he hasn't seen the writing on, on board the spaceship, so he's not affected. Mm. So he unfortunately is the best candidate, but unfortunately, it's also fought with difficulty because he has to translate for Cass, and unfortunately, nobody else, you know, can translate for her. So it and you know, Cass is absolutely right in blasting Clara mm. for doing it, but Clara's mm. not wrong either. No. So it's it's quite difficult to <laughs> it's difficult to criticize, but also you know you can see that the doctor's starting to get worried about it now, which is quite an interesting yeah sort of thing. Um, but again, it's something that that came to mind again, sort of watching them that their relationship, or especially on Clara's side, has become quite especially it's sort of become quite codependent again yeah um it's something that we saw with rose and martha and you know it's it obviously that she's sort of desperate to stay with the doctor and to make him happy and all this sort of thing and Mm. that it's all this sort of thing of obviously they sort of reflect back to to what happened with danny in that i think you can probably it's not much of a stretch to say that she hasn't probably (laughs) dealt with danny's death you know and is so is sort of shoving that all away and going off on adventures with the doctor mm-hmm. and putting herself at risk. Yeah. So she's engaging in quite risky behavior, not to get too kind of psychologist on her, mm-hmm. but it, it does seem like um, the doctor is becoming concerned about her wish to be on these travels with him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, especially that scene in the TARDIS when he says, you know, there's a whole dimension here, but room for only one me. And I mm. think that's kind of, because obviously we know Jenna Coleman is now leaving the series. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wonder whether this is what the whole series is leading to Clara's departure slash possible death mm. because she's getting too doctory. I mean, it's it's kind of interesting when you sort of like look at some of the things she says in the last two parter and this two parter. You know, when she says, "Oh, it's all right, don't mind it," maybe like they're ignoring it. And in uh, Magician's Apprentice, she says. Yeah, which one of us is dying? Mm. It's it's kind of I'm kind of wonder whether the doctor sort of like knows what's going to happen. Yeah, and just trying to like mitigate it. And I kind of wonder whether that might be what the whole thing with the confession dial is, rather than yeah. anything like this is why I left Gallifrey or such and such. I kind of wonder whether the doctor sort of knows. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not deliberately. Maybe he's inadvertently getting clara killed possibly yeah. 
Well, I mean, it, it does seem, I mean, because that's when, when we talked about uh, the first two episodes, mm-hmm. that this whole thing about the Dalek-Time Lord hybrid thing kind of felt like a false lead. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you, you sort of feel like that would be the whole focus of the series otherwise. Mm-hmm. But that it sort of feels like they, they've kind of put that to bed, so they sort of brought it up and killed it straight away. Yeah. That that's not what we're doing here. And again, this whole very, this sort of heavy emphasis on the bootstrap paradox, I do wonder if there's there's a, there's an event that's going to come up and sort of we're going to be using looking at that paradox sort of like as a wider thing that something's mm-hmm. already happened and we're trying to fix that so yeah i do think we're going to be going down that road and also there's that sort of intriguing little tidbit that old donald busts out because mm-hmm. she was in unit at some point or and um uh, the minister of war the minister of war yeah. who you know so you know, mentioned that we haven't met him yet. Mm-hmm. I presume it's him. So the obviously dropping little intriguing tidbits for the future. Mm. But then again, this is you know this is under Moffat's tenure, so mm. <laughs> you know it could be in three years' time. Yeah. Um. You know, we, we might have a completely different doctor by the time we get round to that. <laughs> I mean, who even knows? Mm. Um. So I want to talk a little bit about Sophie Stone as Cass. Um, yeah, because I mean, this is this is a, an actress who is uh, actually profoundly deaf. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, I thought, a really, really awesome choice to use her for this. I mean, obviously, when when it came up, you sort of thought, okay, well, this is what she's in the story for. Mm-hmm. In the, her her ability to lip read would is sort of going to move the story on. Yeah, but yeah, I thought it was really awesome having her there, and she was fabulous. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. I thought she was great. I mean, especially the bit when she's. Out Clara, there's a sort of like there's a dissonant serenity to it because mm. you can tell she's furious. Also, I have to mention the bit from uh, Before the Flood where she's being stalked by the, the Moran ghost mm. who's dragging the axe behind her, and yeah. it, it was it was a great bit where it's you know it's cutting between Moran and Cass. And Moran, when the camera's on him, you can hear the axe scraping, but when it's Cass, it's just dead silence because obviously mm. she can't hear it. Yeah. Um, do you think that was a little bit too Daredevil, though, when she... It was a little bit, yeah. I mean, um, but I don't know how else they would have mm-hmm. got that across, you know, visually. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah, it, uh, but yeah, it was quite daredevil Yeah. But I mean, it's, um, not, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it was quite awesome, actually, mm. because it's just like she's got the sense that she thinks someone might be behind her, but obviously she can't hear them. And if she turns round, you know, chances are she'd probably get an axe straight to the face. So at least then when she's bent down and she turns around, at least then she's sort of like in a position to, you know, you're like a, yeah, she's in like a starting position, if you will. If you, you know, when you like, did running at school, you have the, you start a position and, and then you launch forward. Yeah, yeah I, I, I did through. like it though as mm. well. Oh um, no, I'm, I'm not I'm, saying I, I yeah. hate it. I just, yeah. I honestly like that bit. Mm. Yeah, I did too. And um, so I thought it was actually, it was just really nice that it mm. was just a thing of like, this is this character and it, mm-hmm. you know it's not like made a big deal out of no. but um you know and i was a bit like it would it be realistic to just have her entirely communicate through one signer and you think well yeah probably mm-hmm. <laughs> and um but i would have liked the doctor to have been able to sign myself yeah even if it was just like limited amount mm-hmm. of signing i mean i don't know i mean it, i think it would have been good if like one of the other crew members has been able to sign, yeah. Yeah, rather than just having Lund, because obviously, of course, you get that part and before the flood where Lund has to go out and retrieve the phone. But, you know, I, you know, I'm, honestly, it, it's actually all right. I was I was kind of worried when she was like revealed to be death. I thought, I thought it might have been, mm. 
but then again, I suppose that's that's kind of like that's kind of like the zeitgeist of today's culture. Is so like we we don't want to, to like offend too much, and everybody yes. gets a bit like worried about causing yeah. offence. But honestly, it was it was actually genuinely fine. I thought, yeah, absolutely. And although she, I mean, obviously her character is there to propel the story forward. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's done in in such a sort of an egregious way of like this no. is literally what you're here for is to lip read four words and then you know you're out of it. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I thought it was done really awesomely, and it wasn't gimmicky. Mm-hmm. And you know, I thought that you know she was tremendous. Actually, I think everyone who was on the base actually was really excellent i mean mm. say I, I especially loved uh, morgan christie as o'donnell i thought she was great yeah <laughs> bless it yeah. Oh, I, I, I do think there, yeah. more, there would be more of a body count actually on the um of the crew i thought yeah. we'd probably get down to two yeah i think i think of of all the, the entire crew it's probably Cass and Lund who are the ones who are gonna who are most likely to, to get live. out of it yeah yeah um, uh, so i thought it was quite interesting that cat especially referenced cabin in the woods yeah that was that was interesting. <laughs> I did it did sort of give me pause. I thought in a hundred years' time are people still gonna be talking about cabin in the woods and I thought yeah, yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um I don't, won't go into it too much because you don't want that movie spoiled if you haven't seen oh, it. Yeah. Um you say I I would highly recommend that. Even if you're not a horror fan, definitely check it out. It's good mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> um but yeah, I thought it was quite an interesting reference, especially in just that first episode mm-hmm. that <laughs> you know, to just have, have the ghosts <laughs> in there which again i can't really explain why i'm giggling because i don't want to spoil it for people <laughs> um but, uh, let's move on to the yeah. to something else in this episode the fisher king hmm great costume great well, in the dark as soon great, as you went outside dark, yes yeah. yeah great great in the dark okay great from the waist up mm. um peter serafinowitz as the voice nice bit of menace um i'll God, what's his name? The lead singer from Slipknot. It's Corey Taylor, Corey who Taylor, was the, that was it. the Raw. And the raw. <laughs> um, I must say, as a as a metalhead, um, you know, it, it did sort of, you know, it did. I mean, I knew going in that he was going to be doing the Raw, mm-hmm. so I was keeping an eye out for it. And it did sound quite familiar to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, I, I, I love Peter Serafinowicz as well. Do you know, I, I had Corey Taylor's name in my head. I just, I couldn't access it for a second. I just, like, it's like, it's not a difficult name. <laughs> no, it just wasn't wasn't coming out. I experienced yeah. that a lot on this podcast. But yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was very cool. Again, it could be quite gimmicky, but, you mm-hmm. know, who cares? It sounded great. And, well, um, he's a Doctor I'll, Who fan, isn't he? He is a Doctor Who fan. So. And... Um, Peter Serafinowicz as well is is fantastic. He's got a great voice. Um, mm. If people don't know him, he was the voice of Darth Maul. Yeah. And um, he's also, I think, most famous probably for Shaun of the Dead, where he's the third flatmate. Mm-hmm. You know why I'm so fucking angry? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a part where I was expecting the Fisher King to go, at last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, again, it's one of those things, that once you recognise it as Peter Serafinowicz, you, you can't, kind of can't... You yeah. can't... Yeah, it's Mini Driver and Goldeneye again. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, but, yeah, again, I thought, great costume, and I do quite like the ones which are big, you mm. know, and they can kind of loom over people and all yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, as soon as you kind of went outside the church, I was a bit like, oof. Yeah, and apart mm. from... And apart from offing O'Donnell... Yeah, there's not much. You don't really. It's all sort of like inferred that he's a warlord and and all that. He doesn't. He. You would have thought he'd gone a bit more of a rampage. You think even when the Doctor and Bennett are like racing around, he'd be like taking pot shots at them. 
Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it, you sort of expect him to do a bit more, but I mean, you sort of, you kind of wish, when it's big lads like that, you just wish that, you know, they'd actually just like to sit down and do a bit of crochet or something. <laughs> They've all got to be warlords when you're big lads like that, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a very cool design as well. It was kind mm-hmm. of, obviously, you've got the kind of predator mouth and yeah. like, I quite like that big crest behind him. Yes, I did like that. Um, it cool. re- really reminded me, actually, this is such an obscure reference, everyone's going to hate me for it, but okay. what it, when I was a kid, right. I remember reading about Barney and Betty, I think it's Ford, who the, the sort of the most famous early UFO abductees. Yeah. yeah. And I remember seeing a picture of one of the aliens that I think Betty drew under hypnosis, and it had that big back crest, like in the same shape. I'm just looking can I look this up. I hope my memory isn't. I, can I just say I read that book when mm. I was about eleven. Right. So it was like world's greatest UFO encounters like that, and I remember it freaking me out for days. Hmm. <laughs> not seeing anything on Google Image Search, but uh, I'll I'll take your word for it. Yeah. I'll say you know I apologise if I'm misremembering things, but yeah. But I definitely remember there was a picture that it might not have been them. It might have been someone another reported abductee, but that it sort of that big sort of ace of spade. Right, sort of behind the yeah. alien stage, but yeah, it was it just it sort of just dinged in my brain when I was watching it. Mm. Um, I promise I wasn't under the influence of anything, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it just really kind of popped up in my mind watching him. But um, mm. yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those nice little alien races we may see some more of because they want to get some money out of that costume. So mm. yeah, I can see them coming back and doing stuff like that um and i know that the actual name of the fisher king relates to it's an arthurian myth i think i believe so yeah yeah but i will confess i don't know much about that so i won't speak to it um let me just look them up actually because mm-hmm. i uh, did read about it on the doctor who wiki uh the fisher king was a figure in arthurian legend having been wounded the legendary king waits for someone who is able to heal him to arrive this is similar to the doctor who character who's waiting for someone someone from his people to come and save him mm. so yeah, a little bit of the Arthurian legend in there. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. I'll say, I mean, um, actually, one of my favourite bits was the whole, again, along with the Bootstrap Paradox uh, explanation, mm-hmm. was the reveal of Dark, the Sword, the Forsaken, the Temple. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. I like it when they're sort of like, they're not just like, just a string of numbers or, yeah, you know, cool some ra- yeah, or some random fruit, like the Doctor's yeah. uh, unit's uh, <laughs> security code. Yeah, I, I mean, and it sounds really creepy as well, which mm. is great. I mean, and I'm waiting for my T-shirt with that on. You know, I'm sure there's probably one on the on the, on the internet somewhere. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought it was um, a super cool way of sort of explaining it, and you know, the whole idea of what each thing was and turning people into transmitters so you can zero in on it and things like that. I thought that was a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe doesn't again. It's sort of we we talked about this being sort of more a two part that we expect. But the first episode really set up all this cool stuff, and mm-hmm. you know the the second one, although it works, and you can't criticize it for not delivering on you oh, know no. a logical script. It just, yeah. it doesn't really fulfill the promise of that kind of inherent coolness of those things. Yeah, yeah. It it just sort of like it just misses the mark. It's not like like we say it's not terrible. It's just it just wasn't as good as the first part. It doesn't quite hit as hard as mm. the first part. And I I think that although it's by no means as bad as two parts have ever been, mm-hmm. it it just sort of reflects, I think, a little bit more of not what we feared, but what we thought the direction of yeah. the series would be. And 
And but I've got to give a shout out as well to this story of actually subverting the base under siege a bit mm-hmm. because again, seeing this and getting the preview and run ups to under the lake. You, you sort of saw obviously the base and the these, all these sort of things and you thought oh, okay they're going to be stuck on this thing for the whole two-parter no. No. but we got out of it pretty quickly and yeah. you know if if it hadn't been for the fact that the doctor worked out that that's what you know the the big bad wanted mm-hmm. they would have just jogged off the drum with no problems yeah it sort of brought i mean also sort of talking about a new series what it really brought to mind was uh impossible planet hmm yeah, Especially the, when you have that reveal of the Doctor outside the base. Yeah. I mean, that, that straight out of Impossible Planet Satan Pit. Mm-hmm. And you got, like, the, the untranslatable writing and... Yes. Yeah. Oh, All it was missing was the ood, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would have been great if the ood had been there and the Doctor was like, oh, God, I've seen God's this before. Sake. Yeah, I've, I've been here before. I'm getting deja vu. <laughs> but uh, I have to say, I think maybe he's... The sort of, like, the, it's simultaneously the cheesiest thing I've seen in Doctor Who recently, and slightly the most awesome is the theme tune from Before the Flood with Pete yeah, Capaldi on I guitar. Love I, I love it. That was, like, awesome. I was like, keep that. Just just yes. mix it. Mix the guitar down a little bit so you still get the melody, but keep that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy it. I thought, um, I, I really loved it. And um, say, so, um, like I say, from, from from that little sort of three or four minute monologue, mm-hmm. I am hyped as fuck for the Doctor solo episode now. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be very interesting, especially if if it's like he does it like continually like breaking the fourth wall like he does in the prologue. I think that's gonna be very interesting indeed. Yeah, really. I, I, it, it, I mean, but um, yeah, I, I obviously that it does mean that we're gonna get a. A Clara light, you know, mm. and um, make of that what you will. But yeah, I am very excited for it now because, you know, like we said, we thought Capaldi could do it. Mm-hmm. And based on those four minutes, he's going to smash it. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit as well. I want to come mm-hmm. back to Clara as well with this. I mean, yeah. again, I can't fault Jenna Coleman's performance, mm-hmm. but for, something just ain't hitting with Clara for me still. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's more the character, certainly, mm. than Jenna. It's... Yeah, absolutely it is, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of more still of, you know, they they sort of done her storyline mm-hmm. of the Impossible Girl stuff. Yeah. And obviously the, they tried to sort of make her her life sort of much more heavy hitting in taking, you know, in killing Danny off. Yeah. And they, you know, they've tried new things in that respect, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, and like I say, I can't fault Jenna Coleman one iota, but I don't know what it is about them writing Clara and the doctor. You know, I think that their, their relationship is much improved. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say I love all all the stuff with the cue cards and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know what it is about their... their, I don't think it's a lack of chemistry even. I just don't know what it is about her. It's something with the character of Clara, Mm -hmm. which just doesn't quite resonate with me. I don't know if it's it's just... It just feels like there's a little kind of something missing and I couldn't really put my finger on it. But, yeah, it just doesn't feel quite... It's it's mm. kind of... She's... It's kind of like when I'm trying to like compare and contrast it to Amy. Mm. Amy seems a lot more. What what I'm trying to think of what the, like the not raw isn't necessarily the the term I'm thinking of. But right. It's like I think it's like when she's like when Amy's upset, you sort of believe her a lot more 
And it's and like I say, it's not it's not Jenna Coleman's acting. I think I think it's purely the writing for her. I think they yeah. sort of they have like certainly peaked too early with her. I don't know if peaked too early maybe is the right. But I think they've certainly sort of gone the wrong way with Clara. I mean, I don't I don't know if the Impossible Girl thing ever ever really worked, but it's sort of like. Well, I mean, because the Impossible hmm. Girl stuff was straight out front. Yeah. And you're, oh, yeah. I don't think you're ever going to get as intriguing as having splinters of this same person all through the Doctor's timeline and that whole mystery. Hmm. So kind of throwing that up front and then she's still with the Doctor now, mm-hmm. it, just doesn't, it just doesn't resonate as much. I mean, really, in truth, I think that character should have begun and ended on that. Yeah. And she should have been maybe just, been the half, yeah, just, the, just like the half-season companion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it should that should have been a lot. I think yeah. Um, I think just just, so just like I, they're running on momentum now, and the momentum's mm. very much run out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think because as well, they sort of wrote the Doctor sort of so antagonistic in the mm-hmm. in her first se- full series with him, and this whole kind of triangle between him and Danny. Mm-hmm. It you know for them to sort of come back to a, a neutral point like we expect the Doctor and companion in a relationship to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sort of going back to the classic, it sort of feels a little bit like the Sixth Doctor and Perry relationship. Yeah. It, it just didn't, you didn't quite buy these two together. Yeah. Because of how the Doctor was with her. You, you Again, it's that it's sort of Perry and you've got it with Tegan as well. You don't, I mean, we know a little bit why Clara's hanging around. Mm-hmm. Don't know if we're going to go express it as that she's got a death wish now, yeah. you know, or that she's putting herself in perilous situations on purpose. But yeah, I it, don't, I don't think, I don't think Clara's got a death wish though. I don't no, think it's, I don't think I think it's, it's that. It's, I think it's not that extreme. Just, I think she's just desperate to cling on to something. Something, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I think um, because sorry, um, just because when you look at think back to like Magician's Apprentice, I mean, yeah, she's still got a teaching gig. But how quickly did she clear out once units called? I think she's she's so desperate to try and... I think she's like got a sense that maybe her time with the Doctor is... Winding down. Winding down, yeah. So yeah. she's trying to sort of like hang on to it as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it sort of, again, sort of looking back at Amy and Rory. Mm-hmm. Not Rory, not so much, but Amy definitely. Mm-hmm. All they sort of wanted to... I mean, she was the same. As soon as the Doctor rolled up, she just dumped everything and went off. Yeah. Um, same with Donna. It, same with Donna. I mean, it's sort of that whole thing of, I think that Rory brings it up in, you know, and I think Vampires of Venice, he brings it up, sort of calls out the Doctor on it, mm. that it's difficult to go back once you've been there mm-hmm. with him. You know, it's it, sort of the prospect of having a nine to five and doing whatever. It, it for, for the sort of personality type of someone who goes with the Doctor in the first place, mm-hmm. it, it, it sort of doesn't... It, it, nothing can really compare to that ever again yeah whereas where rory is quite happy to go well that was that and this mm-hmm. is now and now we have a job and a house and a blah 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 blah. you know it's 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 never really the same for amy no yeah. and i think it's a little bit of the same with clara mm-hmm. i think that's and, probably know, what's going to be her undoing oh absolutely i'm sure it, it sure it will be so the question is then going to be how can you know it, it the whole idea of the Doctor sort of being a, a lonesome traveller because people who hang out with him inevitably meet an unpleasant fate. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that thing of how does he sort of keep going back to to Earth and picking up somebody when this is what happens to yeah. them. It's kind of that. But the problem is you you really need a companion because mm-hmm. the Doctor needs someone to explain the plot to. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's sort of that difficult balancing act, especially in New Who, where they've sort of made such an effort to say, right, this companion has lives, has a family, mm-hmm. um, you know, has a, has a life outside the Doctor. 
that, that juggling act, I yeah. think we're going to keep... Now they sort of open that box about the companion, mm-hmm. you can't stuff it back in the box. We're yeah. going to keep having these storylines, and I'm sure it's something that I know it's something that classic fans have a have a kind of a problem with mm-hmm. some fans anyway because you know they get sick and tired of all this kind of mooning after the doctor type stuff and you think well what alternative is is there i mean because the alternative is we go back to having a companion who is with the doctor constantly from day one when they join the tardis to mm-hmm. when they leave yeah and they're just a person who follows him around we don't really know anything about them mm-hmm. and then you probably get people and maybe it's even the same people saying they're a bit bland and it's like because when we like when you think about it, like the the classic companions were very much that that type. I mean, yeah, you had like the standouts like Sarah Jane mm. and the like, but for the most part, you know, they were pretty interchangeable. Yeah, you know what they I mean? were. Like, you know, and it, again, again, for a few, apart from a few sort of notable examples like Victoria, mm-hmm. you you really they really don't have backstories no. or lives. They just kind of appear fully formed and then they go off and then they cut you know and then they're dropped off mm-hmm. and that's that's it and you you never get any an idea that they have a family or a job or in it came apart from sort of rare circumstances yeah. well and, and the so, time yeah and the times that they do do that obviously because you know in the classic series you've you've got maybe you know the one installment's like 25 minutes so you don't have like a lot of time to like stick personal stuff in but mm. you know when they when they do introduce like family members or like, like say like Tegan's aunt, they're very peripheral and they don't really get involved that much. Well, in Tegan's case, they're there to get murdered to move the well, plot. Well, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe that was a bit of yeah. a bad example, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, in fact, um, I was going to say actually going to say Victoria Warfield's about it, but he got murdered. It's like, oh shit! Hang on. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of a companion <laughs> where we where they had family but they didn't get murdered. Can't uh, think of one. Um, what? Oh no. <laughs> um, Perry Step? No, no, no. He didn't. He didn't die. No, he didn't die. Did he didn't he? die. But he was. There was a sense that he was a bit abusive. Um, yeah. Ah shit. <laughs> yeah. See, this is the problem we shit. run into because it, but the way that they're written you cut you just can't write people like that on modern telly anymore no if there was a character like this on modern telly people would be in outrage especially mm. if it was a female character yeah you know and especially with doctor who that's gained this reputation of just have a scream and fall down ask what is that doctor sort of person <laughs> and that is ankle. literally all they do mm-hmm. unfortunately like i say this this balancing act between someone who definitely wants to be with a doctor i mean because if you're someone who's going to go with him why wouldn't you want to do it forever because you know especially like if you're talking about someone with donos you know a temp mm-hmm. you know and i've done the office life it's awful yeah so <laughs> you know there were days where i'll genuinely be walking to work and say i wish i get hit by a bus by now and then i have to I have to go to work <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's, you know, just, it's very yeah it's very life affirming being with the doctor yes it is it's life affirming even though it's horrifying mm. you sort of you've it's sort of things like it, it's sort of that thing of you know sort of extreme sports mm. like people who base jump you mm-hmm. know you might die mm-hmm. or you might very likely die if you base jump but it's yeah. it's a thing of like i lived oh yeah. my god but people well, it, you know like, people keep doing it it's like um tombstoning is it when you yeah, tombstoning yeah. base jumping all those sort of extreme sports mm. 
um, all those sort of things. It's it's sort of that same kind of little lizard brain thing, I think. Not mm. to denigrate people who do these sort of things, but it's just that kind of fundamental kind of fear, adrenaline mm-hmm. sort of things. Any sort of hazardous activity. So like travel, you can really see travel as a doctor as kind of taking that to the next level. Mm. But anyway, I think that, like you say, I think we we're definitely in sort of a in a in a place where things may not end well for Clara, I've got a feeling it's going to be tragic with a capital trag at mm. this rate, and a, and a capital ick as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, block capitals. <laughs> yeah. Underlined. <laughs> yeah. Bold. So um, probably it's time to put some scores on the doors for this mm. one. So what do you make? So what do you reckon, Mike? Um. See, you know, if all I've said before the flood wasn't as strong as under the lake, I still it still wasn't like terrible. So I could probably I could very easily give this an eight. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same place as you. Actually, I mm-hmm. mean, it wasn't the, it wasn't the fact that before the flood was kind of so much weaker, it knocks it down to a seven. Mm-hmm. But it's nowhere. It's not as good as um, Magician's Apprentice, which is familiar. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm a solid eight. Yeah, I think that's kind of I think that's probably what's what's. I feel worst was about it before the flood. It wasn't as good as the Witch's Familiar. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, we've had such a really strong two-part opening, and mm. then this one was just like, oh, it just wasn't quite there. Yeah, you were just waiting for that sort of little extra sort of thing that was going to just take it over that little hump, mm-hmm. but it just didn't quite arrive. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, okay, that's cool. So we did uh, so... have some news, didn't we? There's a new spin-off coming. Oh yes, there is. Uh, we've got the new. Well, it is, when did they announce it? So uh, it October the first. So yeah, yeah like two weeks ago. Yeah. It feels like ages ago. But um, <laughs> yeah, so the BBC have announced there's going to be a, a new Doctor Who spin-off, which is going to be called Class mm. and be set at Coal Hill School. Um, so it looks like they're sort of aiming it at the kind of it's... late teeny crowd, yeah, sort of gonna... games kind of. Yeah, I was going to say it's not quite Sarah Jane. Yeah, it's, it's like a step above that. Yes, yeah, but it's not quite, it's not sort of Torchwood. No, it's not so quite in between, is that yeah, it? Yeah, it's not that. It's, mm. yeah, it's sort of the 15, 16, 17 kind of demographic. Mm. And um, I say, I think the, the the reaction has been quite mixed. Yeah. Well, my um, first thought was, I thought they were closing BBC Three down. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, um, it's weird because, I mean, I mean, well, like we say, it's not, it's not Sarah Jane Adventures, so they couldn't really put it on CBBC. Hmm. But I don't think it's going to be adult enough for it to make it to, you know, the main channels. Because obviously they don't, like, do, you know, kids' programmes on, on BBC One or BBC Two nowadays, unless it's the summer holidays. Mm-hmm. And even then, barely. So it's it's kind of... It's, it's very sort of odd because yeah well i mean i think it's interesting that especially with all the hoo-ha about there might not be a full series next the, the fan rumors that there might not be a full series next year and mm. you know <clears throat> the viewing figures are a cause for concern all this sort of thing the fact that there's there's the feeling in the bbc that there's legs for a, another spin-off mm. is really quite intriguing i mean um the fan reaction i thought was quite poor <laughs> Um, you know, from especially people who were sort of waiting on the announcement, a lot of people were like, oh, missing episodes. And then when it turned out to be this, I mean, I thought, you know, especially as a 90s fan who, you know, who grew up with no who, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that a whole series set in Coal Hill School to do with Doctor Who was just sort of met with, eh, tell us when it's something interesting, I thought was 
Yeah, yeah it's, a bit disin- it's a bit disingenuous. Mm. But at the same time, when I, I mean, I didn't hear about it until you mentioned it on Twitter. I didn't even know there was this thing happening. Mm. And sort of like when, I think if you sort of like, like, I can understand why people are sort of like, because they call it the big announcement. And it's sort of like, I mean, yeah, it is a big announcement. It's it's fascinating that they do that they decided that they're going to do another spin-off, you know, after, you know, Torchwood is pretty much dead in the water and mm. Sarah Jane Adventures had to end because had of the, end, yeah. yeah, because of the death of the Sladen. Um and and you know, I we've done a whole show about spin offs and the the ones they've even tried to get off the ground and they sort of like just bottled it on. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time I can sort of like see why some fans are just like, Oh, uh, okay, was that was that it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I in no way expected there would be another mm. spin-off. I really, I mean, it was really quite a left field. But I'm intrigued to see where they go with it. Um, that as well, I've sort of read that there's going to be no involvement of Clara in it whatsoever, which right. is pretty pretty interesting. Okay. Seeing as she's, okay. she's the main link to it, so I'm intrigued as to how that's going to work. I mean, I, I thought it would be kind of a Clara and Courtney. Thing, yeah, um, you know, because obviously these are the characters that we really know from Cole Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, I just thought, well, okay, well, I, it's just a case of see where see where this ends up. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I'm, yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say, I think it's one of those ones where I probably just, like try and read up on about rather than just like go into it like completely blind. Because mm-hmm. yeah, because I mean, I mean, it could do with um, that Matt Smith looking bloke from the Caretaker, I suppose, mm-hmm. maybe, but. It's like when you haven't got like Clara or, I mean, we don't even know if Courtney's going to be in it. It's no. sort of like, okay. I mean, unless they get um, William Russell in like the the first episode as like a link. But even then, you know, that's tricky because you're going to assume that a lot of people who would try out class are going to be the ones who are into New Who. So they might not necessarily know who, you know, Ian Chesterton is. Mm-hmm. I mean, apart exactly. from that little like mention of him on the outside of the the building in day of the doctor yeah so i'm just i'm interested as to where they're going to you know how it's going to be pitched and sort of kind of like the the sort of stories they're going to be doing Mm. you know so yeah i'm i'm just you know it's kind of a combination of kind of shocked that they think there's room for another Mm spin-off and intrigue as to where it's going to go and you know we're we're doctor who nerd so we'll be we'll we'll watch every episode even if it sucks won't we <laughs> so you know and i think that we'll probably end up podcasting about it at some point as well i mean i think it's due in sort of quarter one of 2016 or quarter two mm-hmm. so is it sort of summer 2016 i think they said then it's going to be start going out so i guess we'll we'll see <laughs> give it a go um, i suppose yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, because it's got something to do with Doctor Who, even if it blows chunks, I'll end up watching every episode. I've I watched every episode. I mean, I'll stay with Torchwood to the bitter end. So, you know, um, it's a sickness. Oh, well. Mm. Um, also on the Facebook page, we had another miss, had another little missive from uh, Tony Boydell. Yes. Um, said, uh, thanks for the shout out last time. No problem, mate. Now on to this two-parter. Well, put simply, this is proper classic 21st century Who. Scary, dark humour, real jeopardy, time travel and time travel trickery. And a monster that's clearly a man in a suit but hypothetically grotesque. <laughs> Capaldi is just flying in this role now. This is mm. ser- this series is four for four so far. How many of us expected that after series eight? Just loving it. Yeah, I think that sums up this episode, these two episodes really well. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we didn't quite get on board with it before the flood uh, as much as I don't think... Uh, think tony did maybe but um Mm. yeah i mean i think that that's that's really well put and yeah i think that this two-parter i think capaldi 
I mean, we talked about it a bit earlier. He's absolutely into yeah. it now. He's really flying in the role. He's comfortable. And yeah, I think that's reflected in the performance, in, especially in this one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. If, 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 if there's one constant throughout these four episodes, it's just Capaldi is just absolutely on fire. He's monster. He's a monster He's at the moment. He's been incredible. God. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Um, I did notice on the Facebook page as well, um, Matt Zucker had left a comment. He said he was starting to watch the classic series. And he started with an yep. unearthly child. And Good I, luck when to I read, you, mate. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, <laughs> that's, to be honest, that's not where I would have started. I mean, yes, it's no. the beginning of the show, but eh, it's not that good. It, it's, it's, it, well, I mean, there's that, and it's such, it's such a, it's so different from. Yes. From, from what 21st century who mm-hmm. you know um so yeah shout out to you for trying it matt um thank God you, bless you, know, you good for you mate um but i i don't think people who maybe go and look at it would expect you can't expect to like it let's put it that way mm-hmm. it, it's you know if if it resonates with you then awesome but you know i don't think you should watch it and not like it and then I, i'd hate for people to watch it not like it and then be put off from watching more classic who mm. i think you you know the, the the sort of the more user-friendly approach is to watch you know maybe robot you know tom baker's yeah. first episode and you know watch series 12 and you know because they're all strong stories you know they're sort of it will test your shonky effect tolerance quite <laughs> quite highly and yeah you know and i think if you're into that then yeah by all means then sort of you know you sort of kind of see it as a circle with tom baker as a middle and then once you sort of you're, you're comfortable with that and then start spiraling out five three Mm-hmm. two six one seven like that you just sort of you sort of spiral out like that and yeah. it will kind of you, you test your, it's sort of like the, the best analogy i can think of right off the fly is sort of like increasing your tolerance to hot food mm. you know you can't go straight in a, a, you know i can't go to the curry yeah. house and go straight for a file no you've got to ha- you've got to be able to eat a gel frazy before you can <laughs> go up to that can't ever yeah you know if you if you like me and my mum you know just oh call me please you know you can't get, go straight to a vindaloo no no, it's just, that's silly. I mean, like I say, I, I don't think an, an unearthly child is bad per se. No, it's not. It's, I mean, I want, it's not where I would have started though. It's not where I would suggest. Watch it every year. Yeah, it's not the sort we're nerds. <laughs> nerds. <laughs> nerds. Yeah, it's just not the sort of, like if someone was going, Mike, I want to get into classic Who. Where did I start with an unearthly child? I would have gone, no, nope. no, go <laughs> go Tom Baker, go Tom Baker, and then get to it. Like, Go just like not not straight away. Get to it eventually because it's always good to see how things start, yeah. but not straight off the bat. It's the early instalment weirdness yeah. TV trope that we come back to again and again. Yes. you know, in, 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 when you've got seven hundred and forty nine episodes to choose from, mm-hmm. you know, I appreciate the dedication of people going. I'm going to start at number one, and I'm the same. You know, if you're starting mm. with things. You know, big long series. I always try and make the effort to go in at number one because you you know you. You do get an appreciation for it but when mm. it's something especially uh you know as a, maybe an american viewer going to a 60s british television show yeah you know i wouldn't expect you to sit down and watch an episode of zed cars and enjoy it or <laughs> you know man from uncle or anything like that it's it it's sort of it's, it's aimed at british people and our mentality and people are you know british people watching in the 60s yeah. so you know i think that your mileage is going to really vary with it mm. Because what we expect from a BBC production in that time is really, even compared to US 60s TV, oh, yes. it's, it's, I mean, US series 60s TV it technologically was much further ahead than Doctor Who was. Mm-hmm. So you're going to, it's going to be really shonky, you know, really kind of, it's, it, the production values are going to, you know, may well just stop you enjoying 
the show mm-hmm. altogether. So, you know, I really wouldn't want that to happen. So, yeah, um, you know, kudos for trying it out, Matt. I mean, I hoped you, I mean, you said it was different. I hoped you did like it. Yeah, um, it was It was definitely one of those, it was different. <laughs> sort it of. was different, yeah. But, I mean, I would encourage you, if you haven't, to, you know, if maybe you're sort of, if you're one of those people who you know, grew up with PBS and has watched a lot of Tom Baker, then I'd encourage you to try some Sylvester, try some John Pertwee, mm-hmm. you know, try some Patrick Trout, which is black and white. But, you know, I think Patrick Trout is a lot more user-friendly than William Hartnell is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe try out some of those episodes if they're available to you and see how they go. those go down with you. Mm. Right. Well, we better wrap this up then, shouldn't we? Yes, let's do that. All okay. right. Thanks very much. Yep. So all the usual places, greatest show at simplysyndicated.com, Facebook, uh, Twitter, all that stuff. I'm not going to really repeat it because you should know it all by, by now already, shouldn't you? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, we we say we if you want to get a shout out on the podcast, pop a comment on the Facebook wall or mm-hmm. do it in 140 characters, send it to Mike. Yeah, you'll be on the show. Also, um, in my podcasting room, I now have a big map of the world Hooray. where I have stars for everyone who's uh, shows up on our SoundCloud um, analytics. Um, so shout out to the person in Kenya, <laughs> uh, Peru. Um, where else? Um, there's one person in New Zealand. So hooray for you. Mm-hmm. If you're listening still, um, I really like to get the axis of evil hat trick. So Iraqi ran North Korea. <laughs> I think North Korea is going to be my white whale, though. Yeah, um, I think you might we might be struggling with that one. Yeah, I mean, unless unless Kim's a, a fan, might be. Maybe maybe if he's got his dad's DVD collection, he might be into it. Probably thinks Davos is a bit of a hero to him. Probably, yeah, definitely moulding after his own thing. Also, if you live somewhere in a really tiny island like the mm-hmm. Ascension Islands, anyone yep. there? I don't oh, know if anyone even lives in the Ascension Islands. Yeah. Tuvalu, Vanuatu, Fiji. Sure, You're right over on the side. Yeah, my map. So yeah, if you live anywhere like that, um, <laughs> you know, and if you wanna, if you wanna get a star on my map, send in your location, and I'll put you on. Yeah. Anyone from Japan? Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, go on in Japan. One in the, the um, East Asia is quite well set, actually. Yeah. Got a uh, say nice cover of the United States. Mm-hmm. Quite like a few more in South America. I've nearly got all the countries. No one in Paraguay, no one in Bolivia though. <laughs> Venezuela, Honduras, <laughs> all those sort of countries. There's one in Peru, one in Argentina, one in Brazil, one in Chile. It was difficult <laughs> to get the star on Chile actually because you're kind of thin and all by the side there. But I managed it. Um, yeah, Madagascar as well. As a as a player of Plague Inc, I really want to get into Madagascar. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before they shut down everything, so um, this is yeah, like a really uh, like pacifist version of Risk you're playing here, isn't it? It really is insanely <laughs> pacifist version of Risk. Although talking about Risk, I'm looking at some of these countries going. I hope they're still there when this when this map arrives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that the whole uh, Syria, Turkey, Iran yeah. area looking sketchy. So is Ukraine. Mm. So you know, no if mind. you're any of those countries and want to get a star on a disputed region, <laughs> send me an email. <laughs> Oh dear, I think it's time we end this now. Yeah, let's wrap up. All right, thanks, Mike. (laughs) Thank you, Emma. (laughs) See you later. Bye. Bye.